0: Hey everybody, welcome to the second episode of our new Blister podcast, Gear 30. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the currently under the weather founder of Blister, and as always, you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. We are back at it after a bit of a surprise but much appreciated vacation that I took shortly after we launched Gear 30. And if you somehow missed our inaugural episode, you should definitely give it a listen since we had a great conversation with Eric Hurlifson about his new Hoji boot. I've now been back for over a week from my first vacation in five years, but upon returning, I slept very little as I was trying to get caught up on everything and managed to come down with a cold. So that's why I might sound a little different right now, but the good news is I wasn't sick when we recorded this episode, so hopefully I sound a little better in the conversation itself. On this episode, we wanted to talk a bit about the process of assembling our 1718 Winter Buyer's Guide. If you've never assembled a 200-page buyer's guide, it turns out that it is an interesting process to categorize and synthesize a massive amount of gear, and we learned a lot along the way. We hope that you've had a chance to check out the guide by now, but if you haven't, you can download the digital edition of the guide at blisterreview.com, and there are still a quickly dwindling number of print editions of the guide that are still available for purchase. In this conversation, I talked to Blister editors Sam Shaheen and Luke Kappa, who did a lot of the heavy lifting on this guide with me. We discuss some of the most interesting things we learned along the way, and some of the arguments we had about what to include and what not to include in the guide. We also talk about a few of the most head-scratching claims we saw about products in some of the other buyer's guides out there, including claims about the Blizzard Rustler 10 and the ON3P Billy Goat. And then we talk about some of the gear that made our Blister Best Of list, and a couple of the products that narrowly missed making that list. This episode of Gear 30 is brought to you by Marble Brewery. As I mentioned on our first episode, Blister was literally born at Marble in a conversation with one of my best friends while drinking one of my favorite beers in the world, Marble's Double White Ale. And in what was seriously one of the most fun things I've ever done, I recently headed over to Marble with our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob to hang out with Marble's head brewer, Josh Trujillo, to talk beer and sample some of Josh's latest creations. And as you might imagine, this was basically the grown-up version of being a kid in a candy store. And it turns out that Josh is so good at talking about his brews that we're going to get him on this podcast to discuss several of them. But in the meantime, head over to MarbleBrewery.com to check out all of Marble's offerings. And now, here is my conversation with Blister editors Sam Shaheen and Luke Kappa about the making of our 1718 Winter Buyer's Guide. So I'm here talking with um, Blister's senior editor Sam Shaheen. Sam, how are you? Doing excellent, thank you. Uh, And where are you right now? You are still currently in Denver? Yep, big old city. Okay, but... By the time this drops, you're actually going to be in Europe, right?
1: Yep. Yeah, correct. We're going to go over, check out the vocal factory in southern Germany, and then go skiing a bit in Austria.
0: Awesome. Um, and then we are also here with Luke Kappa. Um, Luke was uh, our designer on this guide, um, as well as a contributor, as well as, I don't know, a million other uh titles I don't even know how to talk about all of it um Luke how are you doing I'm doing well good and you are currently in Fort Collins you're in Fort Collins Colorado and actually you were the only one of the three of us that was out skiing today is that right correct yeah
2: finally yeah finally got out up to Cameron Pass um and found some surprisingly good snow so there is now hope
0: nice um so we just wanted to do this um you know we had to be clear to be clear we had a lot of contributors um to our 1718 winter uh buyer's guide but in terms of just sheer hours and focus um you know sam and luke and i were the ones that were kind of taking the reins on on that stuff so uh, we do want to underscore uh, for sure um, that it is not like we were the only three of the folks at Blister working on this thing. Not at all true. Uh, but given that Sam and Luke sort of went through uh, the hell of producing this thing with me, um, we just wanted to talk about it because it's actually a it's a massive it's a massive project. Um, our buyer's guide hopefully. You know, most of you have already seen the digital copy. If you have not yet received your print edition, those have shipped. And so those are out of our hands, which always makes me nervous because I'm not in control of that now. Um, But hopefully you have received your print edition or will be receiving it soon if you ordered it. Um, but we wanted to tell you about sort of the, the making of a buyer's guide. And um, in our, our case, ours was um, 192 pages. Um, th- we ended up including 147 skis, uh, 39 boots, uh, 69 pieces of apparel. And then we have a bunch of other stats on goggles, skins, touring, bindings, snowboards, splitboards, Um one, two, and three ski quiver suggestions, et cetera. So there's just a ton of stuff in there. Um, But yeah, I wanted to talk with with Sam and Luke um, about some of the biggest takeaways um, from doing this guide um, because we think you'll find some of it pretty interesting. Um, So to get started, I think one of the things that we talked a lot about uh, was just the fact that so many of the particular categories we have really felt like they were continuing or are continuing to blur more and more every year. So, for example, um, our all-mountain stable category is starting to look less and less um, differentiated from our all-mountain charger category. Um, Does that resonate, guys, with Sam and Luke?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I would say um more specifically it's sort of that the chargers are becoming a little bit more like the all mountain stable rather than the other way around, you know. Correct.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um I think another one too is, you know, we have a we have a whole category of directional pow skis uh as opposed to more playful pow skis. And again, I think that was a category where We just aren't seeing nearly as many, you know, big powder skis that are, that have very traditional mount points that are these big kind of burlier, heavier skis, um, that is just kind of going away. So as Sam correctly just said, directional powder skis are just starting to look kind of more and more playful all the time, um, Right. And which, I mean, I guess that has a lot to do with their rocker profiles too um, the fatter the ski, the more we're seeing those things really get rockered out, creating just a more playful, surfier, slashier ride.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it also has a lot to do with just the, the sort of style of skiing that's in vogue. People are skiing neutral stances. They're, you know, slashing and slarving and swerving and doing things like this a lot more than 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 charging. You know, like 10 years, 15 years ago, that was, that was what people did. They went as fast as they could and made it as few turns as possible. Now, you know, skiing's changed a bit. So I, I think that's being reflected in the skis that we're seeing
0: and sort of the, the style of it as well. I think another category that we talk about this explicitly, like in the class overview of the section, but this term front side. Um, it's weird because I find it Like really unhelpful And yet I have I'm not at the point where I'm just ready to completely Do away with it So I don't know why But it still really is Kind of this open question to me Like what we talk about When we talk about front side um, That's a riff on a Raven Carver short story for All of you literary geeks out there So you're welcome for that Um <laughs> The, the like three of you, or probably actually two of you, or just me anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, when there's these sort of a, a front side section, like, are we only talking about, you know, carving skis that are intended to be used explicitly or exclusively on groomed snow? Because so many of the front side descriptions. Talk about how these carving skis do in moguls, and I still just think that's like a weird category mistake thing that we're doing. Um, I don't know. I mean, Sam, you—you know—you've spent some time skiing in Europe. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Like, is this—is this weird because I'm used to skiing in America or in the Southern Hemisphere? Um, enlighten me. <laughs> Oh, that's a lot of pressure. Um,
1: (laughs) well, you know, I think, yeah, there's not a lot of moguls in, in the Alps. That's just not really uh, a thing that it, that that exists to the extent that it does here. And that's a lot to do with sort of the, the way that the mountains are set up and the way that ski culture is, you know? Um, and I think from, from my perspective, the front side category makes sense in the sense that these are basically the narrowest, most traditional skis in the guide, you know? Um, and in that sense, they fit well together. But I don't think that there's necessarily a lot of crossover, not only from skiing, like the ski technique or the, or, or the ski styles, but from the way that it, the way that skis perform when it comes between groomers and moguls and especially in moguls, there's a ton of different styles with which to ski moguls, you know, like you could be Olympic, Olympic mogul skiing zipper line bumps. And, and that's a totally different style than like skiing, weird, funky fall line tower style bumps, you yeah. know? Um, and they require a different ski and a different mindset and a different technique. Uh, so to really like break it out and say like, Oh, we should have a groomer and a moguls category that's separate. That's, that's a tough one to say. I mean, I'm I'm not sure but I, I I I don't think that you're thinking about it weird just because of your uh, your US centric mindset there Jonathan.
0: <laughs> okay. But but I think that was, you know, that was something that we tried to specify in our front side like there just are some of these outstanding carvers that I think are terrifying in moguls, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> and and I just think like we're still, it's cool. Like if, if, you, if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, yeah, we get it. We already know, then fine. I just think there's still a ton of people out there who don't understand this. They're like, yeah, my skinny, you know, 76 underfoot ski with a ton of side cut. That's actually a, in a lot of cases, a lousy mogul ski.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, look at competition mogul skis. They're basically yep. straight. You They're know? straight.
0: Yep. Short, straight, narrow. Yeah, Yeah. the opposite of a carving, you know, or like recreational race ski. Yeah, exactly. That was uh, something I wanted to highlight. And I think like that's why in our section like we do kind of talk a lot about which ones we think actually are the most versatile in that respect. Like suck least or least terrifying you know to take in the moguls um and uh anyway we'll say more about this because when we get to our best of awards here um but uh i think we can move on Um, did we actually
1: write the word suck least anywhere in that
0: (laughs) i don't know i think we actually debated that i think that was a debate um and i to be honest i don't remember uh it, I don't think that made it into our, into our spectrums, but... Too bad, man. Too bad. I know. Suck least. <laughs> maybe next year. Um, let's talk about the 50-50 category. Um, I think this is just super interesting for all kinds of reasons, right? And we, again, also mentioned this in our class overview for 50-50, but this is the... Just single biggest growing category of skis that we see, i.e. skis where the manufacturers are like, you can go take this thing anywhere. You know, you can tour on it. You can use it in bounds. We don't care if you put an Alpine binding on it or put an AT binding on it. And it just feels like we are seeing, you know, kind of every year. This is the dominant category, right? Companies are trying to position and build skis that are simply not going to be... The the goal, it's like they're trying to make a ski that isn't out of place or that doesn't feel at home everywhere. So what do we think about this? I think it's dumb. I think it's interesting. (laughs) Um,
2: We kind of saw the popularity of an quote all mountain ski a while back and that was the fad but now with more and more people going to backcountry um all mountain also has to include backcountry so they're taking weight into consideration way more um and i think that's it's interesting it seems like every single year now for the past several years that people are just continuing to say like 50 50 that's the growing category and yeah this year just proves that it hasn't really stopped um it's really definitely interesting to watch.
0: Well, Sam, I believe.
1: Well, yes, I, I, I do think it's dumb, but I, I want to say something to what Luke said first. Um, yeah. and that's, it, it it brings up an interesting point because back in the day an all mountain ski was basically like, how wide can you make this ski while, while still being able to have hard snow performance so that it can float on a powder day? Like that's what yeah. all mountain ski was. Um, and then, and then and now that's totally changed obviously with all these new constructions and techniques and stuff. Um, but in general, the 50, 50 category I find to be sort of annoying because it's, it's, it sacrifices everywhere. And that's fine. If, if you're, if you're looking for one ski that needs to do everything, especially if you're on a, a budget, like that's great. Pick a 50, 50 ski, put a heavy touring binding on it and do your thing. But for people especially people who are going to have quivers of skis I think this category just just you, you, you just lose too much you get heavy touring skis you get light alpine skis and you have to ride on tech bindings in the resort which yeah. is which is not fun
0: yeah i mean i'm sort of on record you know just By kind of saying, like, I, you know, steal from your parents, like if it means you can buy a second pair of skis, like do illegal things to not have (laughs) to only own one pair of skis, you know, but I think that if we talk to a lot of product managers, they would want to say here, look, guys, most people, most skiers own one pair of skis and because it is expensive and you do have to store them places right and there's all kinds of reasons why many passionate skiers only own one and so i think the good news is you you've never had it better ever you know in terms of the interesting options or if you're like well i want to, i'm only going to own one ski but i want it i want something that I know it's not going to be great at everything, but more than ever, you can kind of dial in like I'm willing to sacrifice, you know, firm snow, variable snow performance because I want something to shine in pristine, deep conditions, you know, or exactly the opposite. I want something that's going to be do pretty well in garbage snow and I'm okay if it doesn't provide the most float when it's super deep, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so but Sam, yeah, ultimately, personally, I'm with you in that I do see 50-50 as mostly just a series of like painful compromises. Um, and I, I mean, I think the last thing I'll say about this is I really do wonder as we see more if, if I don't know, if or as we see more people get on these 50-50 skis, what is going to happen to durability? You know, um, well, especially because, when people are paying over a thousand bucks for one of these skis, you know? Yeah. But I mean, even if they're only paying 700 or 800 still, like it's all a lot of money. And I'm just going to be very interested to see if if people are beating, you know, using these skis on a daily basis and really punishing them in low snow, you know, environments If we're just going to start seeing a bit of a backlash because these lightweight skis aren't able to hold up, understandably, to like everyday resort skiing. Um, Because honestly, I think if if the manufacturers don't see a backlash on the durability front, this trend will not go away. That's kind of my that's my crystal ball prediction
1: well, I totally agree with that, especially because as skis get lighter, I mean, a lighter ski is easier to ski in general, especially if you're not the greatest skier. And I think most of the market for new skis is people are people who aren't like absolute expert skiers and light skis are easy to ski and they're easy to carry around and blah, blah, blah. So I definitely agree that I don't think we're going to see this trend go anywhere. And I also think that because of what I just said, that people aren't breaking a lot of skis. I mean... I can't even remember the last time I like really broke a ski since I was like a kid when I was skiing children's skis, you know?
0: Hmm. Hmm. So that's, you know, and maybe that's the like most helpful thing. I mean, you know, we get inundated with questions and emails from around the world, people asking for ski advice. And I think maybe that's the most helpful thing we could say. Like, are you someone who has tended to blow up your equipment? If the answer is yes, be real careful before you jump on the, like, lightweight bandwagon. And if the answer is, like, Sam, like you just kind of said, I mean, you're a light guy, Sam. Yes, that's very true. You know, you ski hard, but a light guy. And you're like, dude, I don't tend to blow up skis. It's like, well, then maybe you're a better candidate for the, like, 50-50 category. Um, I've sent several pairs of my skis to our bike editor, Noah Bodman. (laughs) and he he is um yeah he he's just like what what are you doing like I don't wanna you know anyway it's uh it's been kind of funny he i think he finds me to be abusive um on skis, but I don't know what he's talking about, but um well, interesting, and like yeah i think I mean, I don't think we're gonna see a reversal of this trend anytime soon. Um, so, um, and like I said, you know, for, for everybody who is like, yeah, screw you, dude. Like I'm in school or I have three kids and I can afford one pair of skis or I don't have any storage. You're living in a golden age. Um, cause there are a lot of skis that more than ever do a lot of stuff quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, so just,
1: just make sure you pick a good binding. That's important.
0: <laughs> and dude, that, that is, that is the. That's a huge topic, right? Because like you said, I mean, and I think this is going to be a really interesting season. Um, you know, we are putting more time on this Fritchie Tecton 12 binding. There are going to be some new things that we're looking out over the course of this season. But yeah, I don't I don't like it when people are skiing um, tech bindings in inbounds. Um, I don't think it's the best for knees. Um, and I think we're about to see maybe a bit of a revolution on the binding front. Um, Maybe we're not there just yet, but that if the bindings, if the bindings catch up a bit with the category of 50, 50 skis, it sounds like Sam, you and I would be like, I don't know, breathing a little easier. Absolutely. Oh yeah. 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 Um, Let's talk about uh, something that became a favorite, tirade of ours uh, <laughs> while putting this guide together, um, which was stated range of motion numbers on touring boots or boots that have walk modes. Um, we had a huge back and forth about whether to even include, I think this is probably the angriest, I, like the, the, the biggest yelling, uh, the biggest yelling match of this, putting this guy together was Sam and me talking about whether or fighting about whether to include <laughs> stated range of motion numbers. Um, Sam was arguing that absolutely we should not because they are stupid and meaningless. And while I'm actually completely in agreement with him, I was like, you know, we're going to at least put the stated numbers. Um, and then we'll just put a caveat uh, in and at the top of our class, class overview. But um I don't know, Sam. Do you do you care to riff on this?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. (laughs) So, (laughs) after we have this whole like argument, I mean, we're going through writing, like editing all 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 the copy, making sure everything's good, and we have this discussion. I'll I'll call it a discussion. We'll be civil. (laughs) Um, And uh, and Jonathan and I, I lose, of course, because Jonathan's the editor in chief, and I'm not. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, I'll go through and put the range of motion in for all the boots. So I'm going through, and like the third boot I look at is the Scarpa Freedom RS, uh, mm-hmm. which has a stated range of motion of 25 degrees. Yeah. But so I text Jonathan, I'm like, Hey, how? What do you think the range of motion is on the Freedom RS? And he, I don't know. You came back here like something like 50, or I mean, it, it 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 walks pretty good. The the boot really does yeah. walk good, and 25 is uh probably the smallest stated range of motion that we had in the whole guide. Yep, and I mean that's that that just sort of highlights the whole issue. Like the Freedom RS walks really good; it walks similar to boots with forty to fifty degree range of motion, but it stated at twenty five. So,
0: yeah, yes. I think <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Well, actually, Sam, I don't. We we were so sleep deprived and everything else. I don't remember exactly the number I gave you, but I remember you. I think the way it went down is you were like, dude why are you talking about in the blurb for the freedom RS, how it walks so well, it has an ROM of 25. And I, I didn't know what the stated ROM was. And I like freaked out. (laughs) So both, uh, reviewer, uh, David Steele and I have, well, some other people have too, but I immediately then texted, I'm actually looking for the text right now. Uh, I immediately texted David Steele who some of you may know, I mean, there is, I mean, David gets after it in the backcountry harder than like, I don't know, 99 point something percent of the population. Like this dude knows walkability, um, you know, I, his opinion matters in other words. And so I, I, I texted David and just said, dude, what do you, what's, you know, don't look, what do you think the, the R.O.M. is on the Scarpa Freedom RS? And he wrote back, 55 degrees. <laughs> that would put... That is... That's how good that boot walks. Um, and um, so anyway, yeah. Uh, be careful before um, placing too much stock and stated R.O.M. And it was nice too, because actually, you know, we just... Eric Yorlifson, uh, we'd had this conversation with Eric Yorlifson on our inaugural new podcast that you all should go subscribe to, but Eric kind of just basically is completely of the same opinion. He's like, yeah, stated R.O.M. is just stupid. Like, if <laughs> yeah. you're getting hung up on that, like, you're wrong. Um, I remember when, so, I,
1: when I talked to Hoji, I was like, so what's, what's the,
0: what's the R.O.M. of the new boot? He's like, I don't know, it just walks really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess that's all that really matters. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> so... I mean, granted, we like things to, you know, we, we sweat the details and are all for sweating the details, but this is just one of those things where it's like, look, you know, talk about how well a boot um, walks compared to other things kind of in the category, right? But like placing it and locating it among the walkability of a boot like the Hawks XTD 130 or a K2 Pinnacle Pro, etc. Or am I straw ARS? That's the way you answer the question, not by paying attention to stated ROM. So, anyway. Well, Sam, I'm, I'm glad we survived that um, very intense, uh, you know, fight. Um, and we're still we're still friends.
1: Discussion. Discussion. Cheers. Cheers. Dis- discussion. That. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think then we did, we'll sneak this in the middle, maybe nobody's listening. But I think there was then a text exchange where we said something like, scarpa is absolutely either the most honest boot manufacturer in the world or the dumbest <laughs> and i i don't know where it stands but um yeah that freedom yeah if, if anybody has written off that boot because of the stated irom don't um and we'll, we'll say we'll say that Scarpa's probably not the dumbest because their new maestrale, which Sam will be talking about in a bit, uh, turns out is a pretty damn good boot. So um, anyway, Um, moving on, I wanted to, this was something that kind of came up a little bit. Um, Some people, some friends have been sort of texting us some comments they've seen from some other buyer's guides and we came across some ourselves too. And it, this is just pretty interesting as we're sitting there like sweating the details, um, getting like trying to dial in a specific sentence, right? Um, how to most at, yeah, Sam's laughing. Yeah. No, that, that was Luke. I, 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 yeah, um, that's- <laughs> Every single
1: sentence in the whole guide, you mean?
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this This at least people can rest assured if anybody wants to question whether every word was selected uh, with some sweat, um, the answer is yes, it was. Um, so um, every single we, word, <laughs> every yeah. single word. Um, but so it was just interesting to kind of you know while we were putting the guide together, or, or subsequently as we've seen some of these descriptions from from other like some of the, like, mainstream guides out there, um, we would start texting each other, like, some of the just crazy claims, in our Mm -hmm. opinion, that we were seeing. Um, So, one of them we'll talk about. um, I believe... Sam and Luke, have you guys... You guys both have put some time on the Rustler 10? I did get a little bit of time, Yeah. yeah. So, one of the magazines put the Rustler 10 in their most aggressive category. Which is ridiculous. I mean, like, so let's just, presumably most aggressive, like a ski that of a, you know, roughly similar width, a most aggressive ski that's in the kind of 102 to 108 range underfoot, you're talking about like a Head Monster 108 or a Head Monster 98. Those are the most aggressive. Those are two of the stiffest skis being made. They're two of the heaviest skis being made. And the Rustler 10, we just all were talking about, like, it's not a bad ski, but by no means were any of us tempted. And we were skiing the 188, by the way, the longest length I think it's offered. Um, And, like, I think we were all just coming back with, like, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just it can't handle big turns at speed that's not what that ski does
1: it's just like so intuitive and easy and snappy and fun it's easy to overpower it by that that's just sort of how how these things work and most aggressive it is it is not that's for sure yeah yeah Um,
2: it's yeah it's like, I personally had a lot of fun on it, and I'm looking forward to getting more time on it because it matches with my skiing style pretty well, but I would never describe myself as something like most aggressive skier on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to make turns, I like to pop off stuff, and that's what that ski, I thought did well, yeah, but yeah, certainly not a charger, and it's not like Blizzard even wants to market it as a charger like if you look at their copy they're they're not saying it's the most aggressive ski on the
0: mountain. Uh,
2: Yeah, it was interesting.
0: You're right. That's actually a really good point. Yeah, like that completely kind of flies in the face of Blizzard's own copy on it. Um, So, I just a total head scratcher. Um, Another ski uh, we saw, I think Luke, you texted me this one, but that the J-Skis, the metal, was also put in a most aggressive category, Mm -hmm. which again, I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, it's just not remotely true. Like, I can, I I mean, like, I can go put you on, like, 50 skis, probably in my garage, that are, like, just have a bigger top end than the metal. And, you know, so it's just kind of head-scratching. And, again, I think the metal is a really good ski. Um, And you can go read my review. Um, It's a really good, really fun ski but it's just like, what are you doing calling this? Like who's reviewing this stuff? If this is, if this qualifies as most aggressive, do you also have the like triple X hella aggressive category? I mean, I mean, there's also the question of, is anyone even reviewing them? I
1: mean, I, uh, I was talking mm. to someone in the industry the other day who said that he has had skis returned to him, like that he sent in to get reviewed. Return to him hmm. in the box, in the wrapper, unskied, and then there's a review in the magazine.
0: Huh? Mm-hmm. You like? Huh? Yeah. So I guess that's still happening. <clears throat> um. Well, another. We we also had some conversations about um, most playful. Um, So kind of moving from most aggressive, there was a couple head scratchers and most playful, but just we'll single out one of them, Um, the ON3P Billy Goat, Um, which again, I mean, especially people, you know, the Billy Goat has changed over the years. Um, Certainly, I reviewed a 191 Billy Goat several years ago, and I was like, this thing is a freaking tank. Like, if you are all about high-speed stability and just nuking, there weren't that many skis that I would put ahead of that thing. Um, And the current iteration of the Billy Goat definitely has been toned down, um, but it's still a directional ski. I mean, you could center mount the thing and and still trick it, um, but it's just like, if that is your definition of most playful Like, there's some other skis I should um, have you demo. And even in ON3P's line
2: itself, which is the funny thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we could introduce you to some other ON3P skis um, that are definitely more playful than a Billy Goat. Just kind of quickly, one of the things we also spend a lot of time kind of thinking through and sorting through are these blister spectrums of ours in the guide where, um, you know, we will take, let's say in the all mountain charger category, you know, rank all the skis in that section from like most, most demanding to least demanding, that kind of a thing. and. Just because we get some questions about this, it seemed like a caveat was in order. Um, we like those spectrums. We think they're actually quite useful and like super valuable. Um, but it's the sort of thing where we don't want you to get too hung up on. You know, if two skis are located sort of right next to each other, definitely we don't think in most in most cases. You're, if you're like looking for like in a pow ski section, like if we're ranking, you know, most flotation, least flotation, say, we don't think you should get too hung up on like, well, this ski is ranked one spot below another. That's not the way to like make the best use of those spectrums. Um, but if you're looking at, at skis and you're like, wow, okay, those skis are four or five places apart. That's where we will generally go to the mat to say like, yeah, there is a noticeable and fairly significant difference, whether it's in terms of the playfulness, whether it's in terms of the stability, um, you know, of, of two skis that you might be considering. Um, guys, do you have anything else to add on that front?
2: Yeah, I think um, first, these are also meant to be used as a supplement or in combination with the blurbs themselves. Yeah. So if you're unsure about something, these skis are two right right next to each other in the spectrums. Um, that's where yeah, double checking the blurbs, and then also if we have full reviews on the site, you'll get a lot more useful information out of those. And then two, um, we're skiing these skis, um, usually in just one or two lengths. Um, and that will move them in the spectrums a lot. So where that came into play, we tried to specify. Um, like, for example, in the 50-50 section, um, that's where we were focusing on the 180 version of the Lion Sick Day 114, and mm-hmm. then had it in another section in the 190, and mentioned that like these skis will, in different lengths will be very different, um, and that's also something to consider.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Um, I also wanted to say something about um, our ski quiver selections in the buyer's guide, Um it is probably slash hopefully the case that uh, by the time we roll out this podcast, uh, you're going to be seeing some of our um, individual reviewer's choices for uh, Ski Quiver selections. But in the buyer's guide, what we did was it's a bit of a different thing and it's actually something I really like putting together, but it's a bit more of, um, it's less about like, These are Sam Shaheen's specific individual choices. If if Sam was going to go put together a two-ski quiver or a a three-ski quiver, instead in the buyer's guide, what we did was put together kind of pairings. Um, And so I guess it is, for lack of a better analogy, I mean, it is a little bit like a, a wine pairing with food or something. And the way that we're thinking about these quivers in the guide is what skis just do we think kind of makes sense with each other? And that can get a little bit or quite subjective maybe, but honestly, we spend enough time on this stuff where the way that we would approach those quiver selections in the buyer's guide is if you're somebody who likes one of the narrow skis, you know, in the guide, here are some of the skis that we are pretty confident would match up well or be skis that you're like, yeah, those are also interesting. Um, or conversely, if you have one of the fatter skis, uh, you know, the second ski of a two ski quiver and you're looking for something narrower, you can kind of roll the other way with that. And we're just offering some suggestions. Um, you know, again, just like going to a restaurant and it's like, I don't know, I want some red wine that goes okay with this particular entree. Um, and so that's our sommelier take, uh, our sommelier, our ski sommelier <laughs> offering, I guess. I think we um, should
2: just rename it next year. Ski
0: sommelier. I think <laughs> Probably. So. I mean, Definitely.
1: I, I, I would add something to that too. Um, yeah. in general that like that, that the pairings are skis that, that are, relatively they're like aimed at a similar skier. Right. So someone with a freestyle yeah. mindset, there's like, you know, a narrow, narrower freestyle ski and like a wider pow ski or someone who's like chargey for the like resort backcountry quiver. It's like a chargey resort ski and then like a chargy backcountry ski. Um, but that's not necessarily what everyone is looking for. Like for instance, when right. I read through the, the, the quivers, I'm kind of like, Oh, well if I've got sort of a chargey touring ski, maybe I want a more playful, actually the exact opposite. <laughs> if i've got a more yep. chargey alma or resort ski maybe i want a more playful touring ski to sort of switch it up a bit um yep. so that's i think that's an interesting note um to make when you're reading through these these quivers
0: yeah for sure i think that's that's exactly right and you know so what and that's what those pairings aren't going to do for you you know if you're like but i mean honestly i have now Talk to enough skiers from around the world. And the skier, in most cases, who say has a Blizzard bona fide and loves it, is a particular type of skier. And so if we're talking about say nine out of 10 or 49 out of 50 skiers who love a bona fide, um, you know, and I'm one of those skiers, it's unlikely that. Because we've talked with them. We've recommended skis. They've come back, you know, after, you know, uh, weighing in on a ski that they, that I recommended that they then purchased, Um, they often will will come back and kind of, I get their feedback, right? I have the benefit of their feedback. And I think like Sam, what you're describing is just, I think, less common that I, what I tend to see is people want a kind of consistency and feel.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah.
0: But yeah, no, zero I, wrong, nothing wrong with switching it up. No, and I
1: totally agree with you that, that that's the right way to do it. I think it's just good that people understand that that's the way that it's put together. You Yeah, know?
0: yep. Mm-hmm. Let's wrap up by talking a bit about some of our Blister Best of Awards. Um, this is, uh, I don't know, it's always an interesting thing. And again, we write the the caveat Um, At the front of our best of awards that like, we think that you dear reader are smart enough to understand what you need and what you are looking for in a ski or in a jacket, you know, etc. And so we think that you should pay most attention to like our long reviews on the site or the blurbs in our buyer's guide. But You know, there's no question, like there's something interesting, maybe only fun about picking some of the products that we just think really are exceptional and underscore that we, you know, we think are really exceptional. um, And that's what our best of awards are. And we actually, we don't take them lightly. You know, even while we acknowledge that it's pretty subjective, we fought a lot about you know, including certain products or not including certain products. And in a lot of cases, it would come down to we want to get some more time on a product before really giving it our stamp of best of. Um, But I wanted to hear you guys talk a little bit about a few pieces here. Um, Let's start with one, a new piece that both Sam and Luke have been spending time in, this Patagonia MicroPuff
2: Yeah, Sam, you want to go first? Uh, Sure, I was going to let you go first, but thanks, man.
0: (laughs) They're they're so polite. Such a joy to work with, these two.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the MicroPuff is a really cool insulation piece from Patagonia. Um, It uses a synthetic insulation they're calling Plumafil, which we've both, Luke and I, um, and correct me if I'm speaking improperly for you, Luke, or inaccurately rather, but uh, we've both been super impressed with it. It is feathery light. I think it's like, what, 254 grams? Is that what we have, yep. have measured at? 254 grams, and it's warmer than, like, a Patagonia NanoPuff, for instance. Um, it's got a really versatile fit, uh, minimal feature set. It packs really well. It lofts well. It, it's synthetic, so it'll stay warm w- when it's wet. I think it's one of the coolest new products in the guide, for sure.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I've been using that product more and more since we published our um, first review and now in the guide. But, I mean, from what I can tell, it's basically accomplished what every apparel company has been after. And that's a synthetic that it has the fourth rate, weight ratio of down or better. And Patagonia is claiming that it that Plumafil insulation, or the Micropuff in particular has the best warmth to weight ratio of their entire line, which includes their down pieces, which to me is just kind of insane. But Mm. as I keep using it, it seems like it's true. And um, yeah, and now that piece is just going to live at the bottom of my touring pack this winter as a backup puffy. And the best thing is I don't really have to worry about all the snow and moisture getting it wet at the bottom. I wouldn't do that with a down piece um, and I think that's kind of just kind of remarkable, um, and looking, looking forward to using it a lot this winter and seeing what they continue to do with that insulation in particular in the future. Hmm.
0: Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah I'd like is. to check, check, check that thing out. Um, Sam, um, talk to me about, I mean, you wrote a very in-depth and I think a really good review of this Scarpa Maestral ARS. Um, that uh, is a new product that made its way into our best of list. Um, and, you know, you and Paul Forward have been spending time in that boot. Again, I, I have not. Um, but I wanted to hear you say a little bit about it. Um, you know, we did just go through this big initial announcement for this new Hoji boot uh, that's going to be basically a direct competitor, it looks like, to the Maestral ARS. Um, I don't know, Sam, talk a bit about this thing, uh, and why you were such a fan of it or have been so far, at least. Yeah. Um,
1: you know, the old Mistrale had a lot of issues, um, and the new Mistrale fixes every one of those issues and then also retains all of the best features of the old boot. So it still has the great intuition liner. It still has the ratchet strap ankle, ankle, um, retention buckle, which is, which is really excellent. Um, and because of that, the, the, the new Mistrale ski is incredible. It walks unbelievably well. Um, if it fits your foot, you should definitely put it on your short list. I mean, it's most of the, most of the products we have in our, our, our best of are returning products, products that we put a, a lot of time in that we're, we're, we're really, you know, like confident in. And the fact that we've just gotten. I mean, well, granted, but between me and Paul, probably about fifty to sixty days in this boot, um, mm-hmm. and we're willing to put it in, in the best of it says something. I mean, it's it's a good design. It skis really well. It's responsive. It has a stiff flex, and the 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 range of motion in walk mode is best in class. So I'm I'm really excited about the boot. And like I said, if if it works for your foot, go go to boot fitter and try it on. Um, and see if it works for you, you know? Yep.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, it'd be fun to actually go down the list and talk about every single product that we gave a best of award to, but we are not going to do that. Um, so, yeah, go pick up a buyer's guide. Uh, uh, digital, I think we still have some print editions, um, but you can check out the guide yourself to go through the list. I think the one thing that I would single out is, um, is uh, a skinnier ski, is this K2 Iconic 84 Ti? So it's 84 millimeters wide, um, but as a lot of readers know, um, the Fisher Motive 86 was when we go back to this <coughs> ambiguous category of front side. Um, where we talk about, you know, the three, there's kind of three things that can end up falling under the category of front side um, Carving performance on groomers, performance then in moguls, number two, and then third, using it off-piste, um, you know, maybe not too far off the groomer, but certainly not, you know, just more of kind of an all-mountain thing. Um, and the Motive 86 has been That was, I've like, I've never skied anything that was so good at all three of those distinct um, sort of disciplines. This K2 Iconic 84 Ti is the ski that has reminded me most of that Motive 86. They are not identical. Um, I would say that this, the the Iconic 84 Ti, its shape is that of a more traditional carver Um, and it rages. I mean, if you, if you like carving and carving powerfully, um, you will have a good time on this ski. I am certain. Um, but given that, given that it has a more like basically tighter side cut, bigger hammerhead, like a little bit more of a hammerhead profile than the Motive 86 had, it's still quite good in moguls. Um, would it be my first choice for a mogul ski? No. Would it be my first choice for sti- skiing punchy s- punchy steeps? No. Um, but it, could I go do any of those three things on this? Yeah. And um, so anyway, I think a lot of people have emailed me and been like, dude, what's the replacement for the Motive 86? And this is my current answer. Um, so uh, new ski from K2, and I think they deserve a shout out for it. So... Um, moving on, um, Sam, I wanted to ask you one of the, one of the products we really had another fight about, um, (laughs) was less heated than stated ROM.
1: You're making it sound like we're not even friends, man.
0: I know. no, 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 We're, we're, we're friends who fight. Um, you've been really impressed with this G3 Sender 112. Yeah. And honestly, you know, sorry, G3. Um this is my fault, but I was just like I wanted frankly to just get another at least another reviewer and maybe a couple of us on this ski um before going ahead and giving it the the best of stamp. But Sam, you've been so impressed with this thing. So talk about the Sender 112 for a minute.
1: Yeah, you know, um when I first saw it at SIA, when I first saw it at SIA, I uh, you know, it looks like a specialty ski, you know, like Oh, it's a it's a heavier touring ski with a bunch of metal in it and you know it's gonna be for the for, for the big pow days, basically. Um then I got on it and that was sort of my mindset going into it, you know, taking it out on the bigger days and and it didn't really start to start to come alive for me until I started taking it out pretty much every day regardless of, of the conditions. And the coolest thing about the sender is it's got four sheets of carbon and two sheets of metal in it, which is something that no other touring skis on the market right now that I know of at least have and because of that you get a lot of the power and dampness of the metal but you still get a decent amount of stiffness and lightness due to the carbon um, on top of that it has polyurethane sidewalls hard to say how much that actually does um, I, perhaps impossible to say how much that actually does but um but what the result is is a really cool ski that likes to be driven it has great edge hold it's really precise everything from deep pow to bulletproof steeps i mean the things the, the the things of 188 the the ski that i have and i skied it on all of my ski mountaineering missions last year i mean we skied mm. Rainier on it it's it's 1850 grams in a 188 at 112 underfoot and it's not a chattery nervous carbon ski you know uh mm i i i really like it i really like it and i'm excited to get uh, a few other reviewers on it to see to see their takes too but i've been really impressed
0: hmm. that's cool anything else guys
1: um i wanted to talk about a product that did not get included in best of um this yeah. north face ventrix which is similar to luke was Earlier talking about the micro puff, how he keeps grabbing for it more and more. That's sort of how the Ventrix has been in my closet for the past few months. I haven't gotten much time in it. I've only had it for a few months, and uh, it hasn't been uh, very cold for a lot of that time. And also, they sent me a Easter egg yellow version of it, which makes it a little harder to grab. But um, I've been really impressed with this jacket, and I'm pumped to get it to Luke too um, here in a few weeks so that he can check it out as well. But it's part of this, you know, growing active insulation market that's getting, you know. Bigger and is a really important segment, definitely. You know, the Ventrix is going up against the Nano Air and the Nano Air Light and then the OR Ascendant and all this Polartech Alpha Direct stuff from other people as well. Um, you know, the Ventrix is a little bit heavier than that Nano Air Light, uh, but breathes very similarly. It's a little more full featured. You know, it's a full zip with zip hand warmers and, and, uh, and and under the helmet hood, and it's it's something that I'm excited to get more time, and I think it's it's definitely going to be going to be a standout product.
2: Yeah, Sam makes a good note about. I mean, when the na- Patagonian Nano Air came out, it was pretty much the only thing out there that was using a, a quote breathable insulation, and now we've just seen that market kind of explode. Um, and luckily, we've got um, a lot of the leading competitors and reviewing them right now, like the Ventrix, uh, the OR Ascendant. Hoping to get in a few more as well this winter, but, um, yeah, just kind of a sign that it's, um, luckily there are more options and hopefully maybe even better options out there if you're looking for a breathable insulator, so it's an exciting, exciting time to watch that happen.
0: Cool. Well, gentlemen, I... Um... It has certainly been real. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> putting this guide together, I kept telling Luke in the in the sort of the dark nights of the soul we were having um, in the production of this guide. I just kept telling him it is still not as bad as the year before because that I I actually very literally thought I was going to die in the production of that guide, um, and and I never. There was a lot of sort of misery uh, And like kind of losing my mind a little bit In this year's production But um, I didn't actually think I'm I'm probably going to die And someone will find me in my house Like seven days later With flies (laughs) buzzing around my dead carcass So I I appreciate you guys You know uh, I'm I'm glad you guys helped That it, it never got that dark it got dark, but it never got that dark. <laughs> well, now, and, now um, you're going
1: on vacation, right?
0: I am. Uh, I, am I, I will believe it when, you know, I'll believe it when I see it, but I am. <laughs> I am te- so, technically, when people are listening to this podcast, uh, allegedly, I'm going to be in Hawaii. And this will be uh, on my first vacation since 2012. Um, that's, that's me slow
1: clapping you. I'm very happy for you, Jonathan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this too. Anyway, um, guys, well, you did a really good job on this. I'm, I'm very, very pleased with the end result. And, uh, so thanks to both of you for all your time. Um, and, uh, Let's do it again next year. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> too soon? <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's a long recovery period. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Probably a little too soon. Um, well, anyway, guys. Um, yeah. Thanks again. And um, uh, look forward to hopefully, well, basically when I get, if in fact this vacation happens, um, I'm going to probably be up in your neck of the woods um, shortly thereafter. So, Um, yeah, look forward to seeing you guys again and touching base soon. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Thanks guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. That's it for this edition of gear 30. Thanks to Sam, Luke, and all of our blister reviewers for their hard work on the buyer's guide. And remember that you can still pick up your own copy at blisterreview.com. Thanks also to our audio engineer, Justin Bob and to marble brewery for sponsoring this episode. And be sure to subscribe to Gear 30 on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred Android podcast player, because next week we will be coming at you live from the road, and I guarantee that you are not going to want to miss that episode. So till next time, take care, and now I think I might actually just go to bed.